here we go. Just get that shared. Do do do. Mm -hmm. Good evening, guys. Welcome to the Accidental Journalist Live and Undrugged Series Two, Episode Nineteen. Um, as always, thanks to uh, our sponsors, uh, Mr. James Jeffries. Uh, uh, the uh, Facebook uh, Gosport bullying page. I'm trying to stamp out bullying all over Facebook. I am here with uh, Heather Major. Um, Heather is going to share her her life, her story, um, and her recovery. Uh, really, you know, those who join as they usually do, experience, strength and hope, that we call it. So, um, hi, Heather, thanks for coming on and uh, agreeing to do this. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's, 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 been, a, it's been a little while trying to get you on. Um, I know it's been, uh, you know, um, some time in China to schedule it, but, you know, it's great to have you. I want to go back to the start of your journey. Sure. Um like when I first drank, yeah, like you, you, you that know that sort of thing. So yeah. <laughs> I think uh, my first drink and drug was at thirteen, and um, and you know I got really sick at that time. Uh, my parents were divorced, so I would ride um, the Greyhound bus back and forth, you know, from my mom to my dad. Um, you know, once or twice a month to visit. And I had to get on that Greyhound bus the next day. And I, the stench from the bathroom in the back and just, it was a miserable ride. But um, it's not like I thought, wow, like, I don't want to feel that way again and not do it. Instead, you know, in middle school, you know, the friends I hung around drank a little bit and, and, you know, we had our fun and same with high school, you know, experiment and I just think that's just what kids were doing um where I was and you know I experimented with quite a few things uh I think that's the first you know I started smoking weed I started using eggs I started drinking um and then like later on in my high school uh career I um I found uh methamphetamines and um what that looked like for me is I ended up getting kicked out at 18. I had already graduated, but still living at home with my dad and, and, uh, and I like threw a house party when he was out of town and he called and some, someone answered the phone and, and, um, and he's like, you know, I'm done. I, he kicked me out. And, and so when I moved, I ended up moving with my mom. So here I am 18, uh, no direction in life. I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, but the thing is, so I, I didn't know anybody. So as far as like drug use or anything, it was like, I was, I was done doing it. And at that time it was easy just to, to leave it. So then, um, you know, I met my first husband at 18 and he was older and had two kids and I really loved being a mom, you know, a stepmom and you know, we were together for a while and we, you know, we'd have the occasional barbecue. And, um, when I drank, I, I don't, 
I guess maybe every once in a while, like I, I kind of catch that buzz and then put it down. But for the most part, like if I'm drinking, I'm drinking. And uh, it wasn't all the time. I never thought that it would be a problem. Um, my mom, I won't say as a heavy drinker, I can't say, you know, she, she was an alcoholic um, and she had some severe mental health problems, um, which I didn't really know about too much till later on in life, but it, um, a lot of things made more sense. Um, but anyways, but I, I don't know if it was maybe that fear of kind of being my mom, why I didn't drink so much <clears throat> in my like early twenties, but I, uh, we were together for a while. And, and I think, um, after I had my son, he wasn't a bad guy. That's the thing, you know, he was a good guy. I just, our son was about two and I just, I wanted more and he wasn't providing it for me. So I left that marriage and, um, and I had like a free pass. I had this freedom, you know, I was a, a, a mom and, you know, had a household of five and, and, uh, and I had all this freedom now. So I say it went a little crazy. Um, my partying wasn't all the time. I always say like I was a responsible mom and, you know, but lines are definitely crossed. I definitely like I drank and drove with my kid in the car. Um, and when I was drinking, I didn't think rationally, you know. So through the, you know, the course of the, the, the you know, the, I don't say like uh, the next few years um the the drinking and the using i don't say it became pretty regular but um it happened quite often and what ended up happening is i um i had a an incident that happened and i I have a really bad tendency to go online and, you know, go online and uh, meeting people, meeting men. And, and I put myself in this situation where I met the guy at the bar and, and I end up getting roofied. And like, I remember like going the next day um, to my friends. Uh, we were, I think we went out to a dinner or something. They're like, Oh, Hey, how was that date? And I'm like, you know what? Like, I like I I had no like recall like I was like uh, uh, and I realized what happened but like my friends and I like we laughed about it like that that kind of like stuff and that behavior was kind of just normal within the amongst the group of friends that I had at the time which is just crazy thinking about it now but so fast forward you know um there's about five years of you know, a little insanity, you know, drug my son through it. And, um, and then I met my second husband and, and he, I thought he like marked all the boxes, like, this is going to be my forever. He's the one kind of thing. And what happened was, is I, um, you know, the beginning, I can't say it was all bad, you know, every relationship has its, you know, it's highlight reel. And, um, and, what ultimately ended up happening is I just, I kind of stayed in an unhealthy relationship and, you know, his, his dad was an alcoholic. 
my mom's an alcoholic and he wasn't a really big drinker. He drank from time to time, but not much. So, um, I'd say in the beginning of, you know, that relationship or marriage, um, I didn't drink a whole lot. I, when I did though, it was like, he was kind of an introvert. So I would go out, you know, with my friends and the functions and, and that's where I would drink, but not bring it home so much. And, uh, uh, the, the very beginning of our marriage, what happened was, is, um, we did it so backwards. So like we bought a house and then we got married and then, um, I was in a really bad car accident and these were all like consecutive months and the car accident, um, it really shook me. So, you know, I went from being like super active playing softball and, you know, on the go to laid up, not uh, being able to do nothing. And, and that's when I was first um, introduced to, it was Vicodin at the time. And um, I can't say I had used it in the beginning, but it, it did become a problem later on. But what happened was, is so, um, a lot of um i don't say fear behind it because uh what happened was is uh there was a fatality on the other end that people that i had hit um the wife had had passed and and i had all this this remorse and this guilt and i wasn't at fault but i still had all those feelings and you know the fear that, that they're gonna hunt me down and oh my god what did i do and uh and my depression um it, it got really bad. I kind of, I, I say I struggled. Um, I was first diagnosed with depression when I was a teenager. Um, it was one of those things where I was acting out and I just kind of got honest with my dad and he brought me to therapy and then, you know, they prescribed a medication and, you know, me being the, the jerk teenager, I was just like, I don't like the way it makes me feel. And I quit taking it. And so I kind of just went, um, went about life and I didn't think maybe, you know, I don't know if I grew out of it, but, um, but the depression, it was very, very evident at that time. And, um, not really drinking at that point. Um, this was June, 2008. I don't know if I said that June, 2008, kind of give you a timeline. And, uh, so I ate my feelings. I joke. I was like, I think, you know, food was probably my first true love. Um, I've always been heavy. I was always, you know, I was always, you know, the chubby girl with the cute face kind of thing. And, uh, and so, um, in eating my feelings, I put on a lot of weight in a really short time. And, you know, I just, I had just no self-esteem and, his words got really unkind. Um, and, you know, he was not a fan of the weight. And so what I did is, uh, it was March, 2011. I had gastric bypass surgery, you know, to lose the weight. And it's not like I, I did it because I wanted to be healthy. I did it for him. You know, I'm going to lose the weight and we're just going to be great. Like, we're going to be happy, like in the beginning. And, you know, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I lost the weight and, 
you know, they, you know, you can't change people by your actions. And I, but I had to try. Right. So, um, it was maybe, I say like, I, I, for a while I was saying like, I didn't drink for the first year after because, you know, it, the, the doctors tell you not to drink, you know, and, um, Thank you, Facebook memories, for proving me wrong, because what happened was is a, a while back, a memory had come up. It was from October of that year. And it's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have had that um, bottle of wine. Ha ha. So it was from March to October. I was drinking um, a bottle of wine a night. Uh, and it wasn't every night, you know, Um my timeline's super foggy and, um, and that's something I'm working through with my ther therapist too. But I could say when I drank, um, I didn't care, you know, the, the behavior of my husband got tolerable and, um, and I was able to deal with the shit show of my life at that point in time um when I drank mm -hmm. and I didn't drink every day I didn't drink um in the beginning I didn't drink every day you know sometimes I go on vendors where you know um through the week like Friday to Sunday and you know intoxicated or you know if there's if there's a function I'm definitely going to get wasted and um, eventually what happens, he ends up going to school and he becomes an over-the-road truck driver. And so when he was on the road, he was doing what he wanted, which gave me permission to do what I wanted. And what ended up happening is um, my drinking, it, it just, it progressed. You know, I, my fourth son, you know, bless his heart, he is going to be let's see, he's going to be 23 this year. And, uh, you know, and, and he, I'm dragging him through this. I have still to say, like, I have no recollection, like what, like what he actually saw behavior wise. Um, but like fast forward, it gets to the point where I'm a daily drinker and I'm drinking on the job. I'm at the liquor store waiting for it to open in the morning, you know, and, uh, so I could go um, before I have to go to work, you know, I got to get my fix and, and it got to the point, you know, I was waking up with shakes and I didn't understand what that was. I just knew that when I drank, um, they went away and um, yeah, the drinking on the job was insane. And, you know, my coworkers would kind of, and you think drinking? I'm like, no, it's hand sanitizer. You know, I worked in a medical office, so, you know, I got away with that, but People were suspicious, you know, my behavior, my, my quote unquote, my, my napping on my lunch break was passing out so I can get through the rest of the day, mm. you know, and this was just normal. Like I didn't see a problem with it. This was just my life and I accepted it, you know? And so, um, I got good at hiding it, you know, on the outside, um, I seemed, you know, pretty put together, uh, you know, I had the house and the husband and the car and stuff. And uh, I'm completely 
dying inside and I'm not talking about it because I feel like I deserve it. You know, I feel like, um, this is it. Like, this is the best I can do and I just need to accept it. And, um, and the drinking just, um, made it okay. It made it tolerable. And, uh, um, but by August, 2013, and what's hard too is I, so like I had the way that I like remember it or recall it, but in talking with, with friends, um, and family, some of the things, um, didn't happen exactly the way I, I thought, which is crazy. So here's what I recall is, um, I, I did know that, um, I had a lot of physical pain that I was in from that car accident. And I still, you know, had, uh, I had the Norco that I was taking for that. And, and, um, I wasn't taking it responsibly. That's for sure. I was definitely drinking with it, but you know, all the buildup, the emotional pain and the physical pain. And I just wanted everything to stop. And so, I took a whole bottle of uh, the pain medication and then I woke up the next day and I didn't think anything of it, which is crazy. Um, but I, I want to say like a week goes by and um, I'm on the phone with him, you know, and we're arguing. That's just kind of our interaction all the time now. And, uh, and I said the words, I was like, that's it. I'm killing myself. It's your fault. He said, you're crazy effing drunk like your mom. And he hung up the phone. So what did I do? I continued to drink. And I, um, I ended up um, taking a bottle of sleeping pills um, that night. And then the next day, super groggy, but I woke up. And again, without a thought, like, like no, no fear behind it. Like that was really reckless. That was kind of scary. It was just kind of like, whatever, you know? And I just went about my drinking and my day to day and, you know, and, and I have no idea what my son is seeing or where he is really, truly at this point. Um, luckily I found out through family. He's, I think he spent a lot of time at, um, at, at his dad's during this, this part of my life and, uh, which made me feel a little better, but, you know, he was there for some pretty ugly stuff, you know, and, uh, he got to the point where he's taking care of me and, and how I recall is I think maybe another week or so goes by and I reach out to my dad, but really I probably just answered the phone. Cause I've completely isolated myself at this point. And I'm, um, I, I don't know the last time, I like talked or saw my best friend. Um, I don't recall the last time I talked to my dad, but um, I said, I'm drinking um, too much and I don't know what to do. And like, I didn't identify as an alcoholic because I'm not my mother. And then uh, my dad was a really good code attendant at the time. And he did all the footwork for me. And he said, uh, okay, uh, here's what you do. Like I could follow direction. And, um, 
Kaiser CDRP, it's our chemical dependency recovery program. I think that's what it is. They do walk-in assessments. And so I was supposed to go in, I think it was like a Thursday, maybe mid-morning. And um, and I go intoxicated because at this point, like I have to drink to function. It's the only way I can function is um, if I have alcohol in me. And they take me in the back and they start asking the questions and you know they can smell me. They could tell I, I had been drinking and they asked me when my last drink was and whatever BS lie I told them, it was probably right before I walked in that door, you know, in their door. And um, they said, we can't properly assess you till you're sober for 72 hours. So they gave me an appointment for the following Monday and um I left and I left and, and I didn't think, okay, like I can do this. I didn't even try. I don't think I even tried. I just was like, whatever. Again, like that was like, whatever. And, um, and I continued to drink through that weekend. And um, that following Monday when I was supposed to go in, I had a, my moment of clarity wasn't like, wow, I really need help. Like, this is really a problem for me. My moment of clarity was just like, I'm, I'm done. You know, I rationalize her. Like my son's better off with his father. Like I have, you know, I have two failed marriages and my self-esteem, like there, there's none. Like I have no value. I have no worth. Um, all the lies that I've been told, I believe them all, you know, like I'm never going to be pretty enough or skinny enough. Um, I'm dumb. I'm never going to be um, on the same level intellectually as, as, as the husband. And, and I just believed it all. And um, I was just really tired. I was really tired. And uh, so it was August 26th of 2013. Um, I shot myself. And the crazy thing is that, um, like, I picked up a drink again, you know, third suicide attempt, survived it, and I still picked up the drink again, you know, that um, that following year, um, you know, I, my dad filed for my divorce when I was still in the hospital, you know, so that was taken care of, and uh, my best friend, um, she moved me in with her and her family to help take care of me, you know, after I got out of the hospital and, and I got out and, um, you know, it was a lot of medical appointments, a lot of, of stuff to deal with. And, uh, and now the hospital, the first year surgery after surgery, after surgery. And, and, um, it was maybe, you know, 14 months, about 14 months out of, um, out of, after I shot myself in and I did, I had a glass of wine with my best friend, you know, cause she didn't think I was an alcoholic either. You know, it was my circumstance. I was, you know, in an abusive marriage and I'm depressed. And that was, that was the problem that had nothing to do with the drinking. And so that glass of wine, um, it, I was off and running, you know, but not in front of her. Um, you know, years later when um, I got to sit down with her 
um, you know, because there was a short a, a few years she didn't talk to me and I'd done some damage, you know. Um, she asked me like when when I crossed that line, like what happened? And I said, Well, when you'd go to bed and you'd stop, I just I couldn't, you know, I'd be back at the liquor store. And when she was at work, I was at the liquor store, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, starting my day. And again, it became my norm, you know hiding it, sneaking. And, um, it was, I, I think I'd been gone the night before. Um, and that's another thing, you know, I like to, uh, just tear, uh, shut my phone off and, um, not answer calls and then just resurface. And, um, and I want to say, this is how I remember it. Uh, it was probably like, I don't know, 10 AM. And, um, I got home and she wasn't at work. And, um, you know, she was scared. She, she called me out and she's like, what's going on? She's like, you're drunk. And I was like, no, I'm not. And it was pretty obvious that I was. And, um, she's like, I don't know what to do with you. And so she called my dad. And so my dad's like, so you've been drinking, huh? I was like, yep. He's, you think you need rehab and I was like okay so I went to rehab and um it was two months of hell it was horrible and then I you know I got out of rehab and they suggest you do some things you know certain things uh you know go to meetings uh get phone numbers so you have someone to call and uh I didn't do the stuff. I went to meetings. I, I found a him and that him was good with me behind closed doors, but not in public. Mm. And so all of that, that shame and that, that like my self-esteem was still just gone, completely gone. And, you know, and now I'm, I'm even more like the depression is, I don't want to say teetering, um, but, you know, now I have this, I say, I disfigured myself, right? I had this, this, you know, you know, being vain before I shot myself and I'm not going to lie, I'm still a vain, but, you know, but having that, um, this, this face um, was really hard for me to accept. And it, what happened is I ended up drinking again, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't accept my circumstance. I couldn't accept, um, you know, the, the challenges that I've created. Um, you know, so I, I have some pretty gnarly challenges that, that I deal with daily. And, you know, I had a friend tell me, they're like, I would have never known. It's like, well, I mean, it is what it is, right? Like I kind of got to a place of acceptance with it, but, you know, wears on me from time to time. I have my little breakdowns. But, you know, I, I go, um, eventually what happens, you know, I drink again and my dad takes me to another rehab, you know, and he takes me to say, uh, go say goodbye to my son. And, um, and I'm telling my son, you know, I'll talk to you soon. And he won't look at me. He won't make eye contact. He's just standing there. And I hugged him. I said, I love you. He's like, yeah. And he handed me this letter and he walked away. <clears throat> 
And I read that letter and like, he couldn't understand how I could choose alcohol over him. Like he just wanted me to get my stuff together so he could come and live with me again. And I wasn't capable of doing it. You know, I didn't have an answer for him. And I went to that rehab and um, I got out. <laughs> and so the first one was two months. This one was four months. And uh, I go to a sober living. I end up, you know, relocating. And, you know, if you're sober living, this, you know, accountability structure, this is what I'm going to need. This is going to be great. But it was co-ed. <laughs> so there was this guy. And um, the sober living really wasn't in a great part of town. And um, basically what ended up happening is I, I got into a relationship with a guy who had, you know, just got out of prison um, and was just a really sick individual. But all I saw was, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And I was like, oh, my God, this delusion, like, we're going to be this, like, recovery couple. And, like, he wants the same things. And he's sober. And um, it was just, a, it was a crazy delusion. And, you know, he was the first man to really give me that attention. Like, after I had shot myself, you know, looking the way I look. He gave me this attention and, and it made me feel so good. And like, he told me he loved me and like, I believed all of it. And, and, um, and so it just, it kind of hooked me. Right. And so I ended up, um, not drinking for, I want to say I might've stayed sober maybe six or seven months, but, um, it's, uh, it got pretty ugly pretty fast um, because I, he ended up, you know, using again and he got kicked out and had to go to rehab and I visit him in rehab and I'm still sober at this point, but he got out of rehab and, and I, um, and he started using again. I was like, I don't understand. Like, I want to try it. Like, I don't understand what the fascination is. Why can't you stop? And he's like, no, I go, I could just go get it myself. And so um, you know, it was just a, the first time that's all it took. And I'm off and running, you know, the insanity and, and the fact that, um, it became my norm, like this is my life and just how delusional I was and accepting of the lifestyle, you know, um, I think it was a matter of five months. Of, of using that it just was completely you know I'd gotten kicked out because I peed dirty and then they let me back in and then it happened the second time and they let me pay a hundred dollar readmittancy and move back in and um all the while don't see it as a problem you know and realizing too like um you know, what it's really cost me because, you know, not only the, and I, I don't talk about this a whole lot, but, um, in that process, you know, i still have, um, some reconstruction, uh, plan, like some, some surgeries coming up, you know, my insurance, they authorize prosthetic implants, which is huge. That's huge. And that was the goal, like, you know, to get, you know, 
some teeth and um, a little more, you know, cosmetic stuff going on. And, you know, all, you know, the year, the two, you know, all the surgeries that that was the goal, you know, all this stuff is leading up to this, you know, moment, you know, I get fitted and then I have my natural facial, uh, facial surgeon, you know, he, he puts the posts in and does the surgery um, to do some revisions on the bottom of my lip. And um, I had started using methamphetamines. I was high and, um, and I still went in for the surgery because I, I'm just, I'm in this delusion, this fantasy, and it's just, it's okay. I'm not drinking, but I'm using, you know, the insanity. And so what happened was, is I, um, it was, a, I went for that surgery. Well, what happened is um, the stitches popped and um, I went in for my two-week post-op and uh, he was so furious. He, I mean, he yelled at me and he's like, I, and I smoked cigarettes at that point. And he's like, I've been telling you to quit for months. And he's thinking I'm smoking cigarettes. No one knew about the drug use, you know? And um, <clears throat> so on top of it, I come down my, you know, he's like, and he's in my face. He's like, what's going on with your eyes? What, what look at your pupils. And I'm like, I knew, you know, I freaked. I knew you were going to be upset with me. And I took my anxiety medication, whatever, I, you know, lie, lie, lie. And, and he's just like, I'm done. I'm done with you. So he, um, he discharged me as a patient and, um, and I called my dad when I left that appointment, I'm in the parking lot and I'm sobbing and my dad's like, well, what do you expect? And that's it. I'm like, and again, no one knows. And I don't come clean about the drug use. So I go home <laughs> and um, I don't know how long after that happened that it did come out because it was a matter of, um, I think it, it was a matter of him continuing to come to the house. He got kicked off the property because of our interactions were so toxic, <laughs> especially when he was high and I'm high and Again, no one knows that I'm using. They never thought that I, you know, I was influenced by him. They never thought that it was, you know, that someone like me would be using. And um, what happened is, is uh, I'm pissed dirty again. And, and they made me call my dad. It was, um, I remember it was probably like one in the morning and I had gotten home and, you know, the women that I lived with, um, at this point we were in a separate house next door to the the co-ed is now men and now we have our women's house and and I ended up um, you know calling my dad the next day and and I came clean and so you know doing what my dad did he came in you know and and packed me up and took me to rehab again you know the the lecture they they're uh they relocated me further away because, you know, the fear of him, um, he got really violent, got, it was really, um, abusive relationship. And there's a lot of fear of him finding me and, and, and everything that goes along with, you know, my insanity. And so I ended up going to this rehab and, um, 
I think I was there four and a half months. And I go, it was a, after I moved from there, um, I moved to a, a, a faith-based home. I figured, um, you know, cause I need Jesus in my life. Jesus is going to save me. Right. <laughs> and all the while, you know, I'm still not doing the stuff, you know, I go to rehab, I get out and I do nothing. I go to rehab, I get out, I do nothing. I get out, I'm going to find religion. That's what I need. And, you know, these women, um, beautiful, you know, they live to serve the Lord and God put it on their heart to open this house and then they moved me in. <laughs> they didn't know what they were getting into, you know. And I just, I wasn't done yet, but I didn't know. Because I'm still in victim mode. It's still everyone else. It's still my circumstances. It's, you know, the pity pot, you know, the poor me. And um, I moved to that home and, you know, there's guidelines and requirements. And, and I just, I couldn't get on board with them. You know, I couldn't, I didn't want to be in their book. And I didn't want to be in my other book that I'm supposed to be in. And so what happened was, is I, um, I drank again. And then they forgave me and I was on a 30 day, I say punishment, 30 day probation. And I wasn't, I literally was not allowed to be left alone. And so my best friend, or actually she became one of my good friends is um, my roommate. She, uh, and she's had her struggles too, you know, she's got a lot of health problems, but you know, God puts people in your life for a reason and her, um, she is such a significant part of my recovery because, um, you know, August 26th was always like a doom and gloom day, awful self-pity. Look what I did to myself. Look what I did. I've ruined my life. And, um, when that day came around and she said, you know what, Heather, that's not the day your life ended. That's the day your life began. And I said, huh? And it took me a little bit of time to really grasp that concept and understand what it meant. Um, because I still wasn't done. But what happened was, is um, I was on my way to a meeting and I stopped at the liquor store for cigarettes and like just instinctively, the little they, they had the little shooters, little bottles on the countertop and I grabbed a handful, just had it, handful. And I throw them in my purse and then I go and I drink and then I go home and, and, um, I got called out. I'm not, I'm not a sneaky drunk. And, um, they said, sleep it off. We'll talk in the morning. And I threw my hands up. I said, I'm at it. I'm done. Done. You know, again, that rational thinking of mine, you know, that clarity that I have when I'm intoxicated and, um, so I, I ended up um, having a forced suicide attempt. And, um, you know, thank God for the two women that were in the house with me at that time. You know, they found me. Um, they found me in time. And um, I woke up a day later intubated and strapped to a hospital bed. When I, I looked, you know, when I was looking around and realized where I was, I was like, are you, my first thought was like, are you effing kidding me? Come on. 
And then, um, and then my friend showed up and, uh, you know, that roommate that I had, she called her, she told her what happened and, you know, she showed up and, and she said, what happened? You know, she had just talked to me, um, you know, the day or two before. And I said, I had an emotional mental breakdown. Don't you know? Um, cause I'm a victim. And she said, honey, you think you just might be an alcoholic? And I was like, oh my God, what? I'm a, you know, it's that like the and those proverbial pop, you know, and it, it was that like, oh my God, like I am a crazy drunk like my mom, and it's okay. And you know, that was my first like total like I am powerless. I am completely powerless, and my way does not work. And so, um, I got out of the hospital. I ended up, I went to a third psych hospital and then a fourth rehab. Um, but, you know, out of that rehab, I moved to a sober living that was, um, uh, it was, it was structured. It was like genuine. The guy had um, recovery himself and he cared about, you know, about the tenants and um, it was down the street from an Alano club where I can access meetings you know, three or four times a day. Because also at this point, the third rehab I was in, I, I made an agreement with my dad and I said, hey, um, I'm not going to drive till I'm sober for a year. Had him sell my truck, hold the money, you know, verbal contract, you know. And, um, and so I moved there and it just like, everything was aligned. It couldn't have gotten better. Like, I, I walked down that street every day, three times a day for months. Like, you know, I, I was really fortunate or I didn't have to worry about work. And um, like my full-time job was to stay sober, get sober, stay sober. And, you know, living in that situation, that setting um, with other women, it really gave me the opportunity to um, build this foundation for my recovery. And, learn how to deal with different, you know, living in a house with six other women <laughs> who are in recovery, you know, some are sicker than others, sober or not. And then um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible though, but it can be, I could say it wasn't horrible. It could be challenging mm. at times, you know, but, you know, so I got busy, um, with my sponsor and, and, um, you know, I finally took the suggestions and started to do the stuff they asked. And, um, I had to look at my part in, um, in my relationship. So, you know, that second husband, um, I cyber stalked him. Don't recommend it on Facebook. And he got remarried and like had another baby. I'm just like, and I freaked out. I remember the poor dad. I called my dad freaking out. And he's like a few hours away. He's like, go to the ER, go to the ER. He has not like, I'm like the ugly crying screen, like snot bubbles. I'm like, ah, freaking out on him. He's like, go to the ER, go to the ER. And then like, I catch my breath finally. I'm like, it's okay. Okay. You know? And I, uh, I end up um, hanging up with him and I sat and I really was like, Oh my God. Like I, <laughs> the moment, the moment 
huge, huge point in my recovery too. turning point is, um, oh my God, what if the marriage was crap because I'm an alcoholic? <laughs> what, what if all the challenges in that marriage were because of me? And that's the first time in my life I ever accepted responsibility for my part because I was an angel. <laughs> I was the most selfless giving person in the world and I did no wrong. Um, but I did, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a good wife, you know, and I like to talk about his indiscretions, but I had mine as well, you know, but we don't talk about that because it's justified in my mind. I was still sick. And, uh, but, you know, the, the, the crazy, beautiful things that have happened along the way, you know, so, um, I just celebrated five years in July and yeah, right. It's nothing short of a miracle. And, um, you know, uh, in recovery, we talk about a higher power, um, you know, that God word is thrown around and, you know, I do, I've always had a belief of God. It wasn't the same God that I heard them talk about when I was in that faith-based home, because that God was a very punishing, unforgiving God. You know, I really believe that I, I wasn't saved. I was left here to suffer. Like I'm being punished because of my actions. And um, what I learned is that um, it's actually God's grace that that saved me and gave me um, the opportunity um, to, to heal, to start to live a life that I didn't plan on living. Like I, you know, by all counts, like I shouldn't be sitting here. And I, I'm so sorry about the video. I'm like looking at my little picture here. Um, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> but, you know, the insanity um, the insanity and, uh, it's, it's, it still comes now and then, you know, it's, we're human, right. Yeah. You know, I still, yeah. you're right. My depression is, is, um, it's managed, but it's depression and there's no rhyme or reason sometimes, you know, I, um, you know, um, not uh, this past October and maybe the October before last, I, um, you know, I kind of suffered for about three weeks to a month, you know, because I have a really good life. And so I didn't want to look at it as my depression. <laughs> and it got to a point where like I'm emailing my therapist, like, you know, I'm I'm suicidal and I don't have a plan or intent, but like the ideation's there. And you know, she called me immediately. And um, you know, it wasn't matter like I needed to go there, like I'm safe. I'm okay. Um, but I like the, the, the chatter in the head is re really loud and I, I can't quiet it and I can't stop it. And, um, and so I, you know, I went to my employer and I was completely transparent. I said, look, here's the deal. Here's what's going on with me. I need two weeks off of work. And I was newer at that job. And, um, they said, okay, they said, okay, you take care of you. And, you know, I did, um, I ended up doing an IOP um, online and, and they made some adjustments, you know, to my medication and, and, um, and then I was kind of back on that even keel, you know, it was, you know, I still, my peaks and valleys aren't peaks and valleys. They're just little bumps along the way, you know, 
Um, my anxiety is manageable. You know, everything's manageable in my life today, hmm. you know, because I, because I, I don't feel the need to check out. Um, I am well aware that um, I am not perfect and I don't hold myself to any crazy standard um, that I used to, which is, you know, but, you know, you're this old and, you know, I'm going to be next week. Oh, this, oh, I guess it's this week. I'm going to be 46 and like, that I don't have the stuff. Like what I thought my life would look like at 46 is nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have now, but the life I have now is just, it's like I said, it's sometimes crazy, but it's beautiful. And um, the experiences along the way, this one um, incident that happened, that was an incident. This, so um, because of the wound and in the manner that happened, um, it's considered a dirty wound because there's shrapnel in the soft tissue still. Right. So um, I'm prone to get abscesses and skin infections, just random. And this one time um, I had an abscess and I had to go in. Um, the doctor wanted like an ultrasound in my jaw. And uh, the ultrasound tech, you know, um, just talking to you, like, oh, you know, like what happened? And, um, you know, just curious. And, and I'm, you know, I get up on the table and I go to lay back and I have my hands, you know, set on my stomach. And I was like, oh, I shot myself. And she's just like, I, I say it so casually. <laughs> and she put her hand on top of mine and she looked at me and she said, you know what? She was, that must have been a really rough time in your life. And, and, you know, the tears streamed down and, and I said, you know what it was because a lot of people's response when I like tell them, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like, don't be like, I'm not like, I'm okay. And I remember the first time I said, like, I'm okay. Like I cried because I'm okay. You know, you know, self-pity is something that I battle. Um, Oh, I don't say self-esteem self-pity not so much but you know self-esteem you know i'm i'm a single 46 year old woman and i have body image issues and i have um all these these things going on in my head but when i sit down and i think about it and i quiet then it's like people accept me for me and i i forget how simple like life can be when I quit, like I, I hold myself, like I said, like to the standard, these things I should, I should, I should. But in reality, like I'm in the right place. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, like our interaction, when you reach out to me, um, it like, this is all, it serves a purpose in my life. It serves a purpose, you know, um, one of the things that I have the opportunity to do is um, go to um, firehouses, like fire stations and talk to classes. Uh, sometimes, uh, one time we went to like a, a it was a, um, a classroom of all like new hires for, for ENT and firefighters. And, and uh, what I get to do is I get to share my mess. We don't share the recovery part, we share my mess to give them a little insight into what it looks like with our disease, with my disease, and that um, give them the little maybe empathy. 
So, and, and to know, you know, like to not bring it home and the gal that I do it with, it's great. Like she has the actual like statistics and, and the calls that they run and the people they encounter and, you know, and the fact that I could share that. And, you know, I just did one last week, a class and, and I told him, I said, this can't be for nothing. Shooting myself, even that abusive relationship, like it wasn't for nothing. I hear it a lot. Um, you know, people that had the gun like in their hand and, you know, whether, you know, they, they couldn't pull the trigger or something happened when they did. And, you know, it, it's, it's so it's sad, but at the same time, it just reminds me like, you know, no matter what happens in my life, like gun in hand, I, I don't have to pull the trigger. And I didn't know that. I didn't know I had a choice. I didn't know I had a choice. And, um, and I do today, I do today, you know, um, I have this, uh, this God in my life who shows me a lot of grace (laughs) and, um, and this overwhelming um, feeling of just like, I don't, not satisfaction, that's not the right word, but like comfort, this overwhelming feeling of comfort that I've never had. I was never okay with who I was since I was a kid. And drinking and drugging was just to escape my realities. And, and I'm just like, I'm okay today. You know, even my speech, um, my speech used to be really bad. And um, I was really self-conscious about it. I had a speech therapist come in to work with me about a month out of the hospital. And um, she said, there's nothing I can do for you. And she left. And I called my dad and I was freaking out. And, you know, I, I had a phone call with an apology within 30 minutes. But, you know, my speech used to be really slurred and I'd have to repeat myself a lot. And I had to stutter for a while. But so all the stuff, you know, I have to say, like, I very nonchalant. Oh, yeah. And then I shot myself and da, da, da. I'm so casual about it. But I have to remember the impact that that has. Like, it's a pretty serious thing. And allowing myself to acknowledge, like, the things that I have overcome. For me, it's just like, what else am I going to do? Like, I have no choice. I do have a choice. I could give up or I could continue to drink myself to death. But, you know, um, like I said, like, I, this life that I have today, I almost missed it. And, um. I don't look for, you know, it's never going to be perfect and I don't want it to be because um, then I'll have nothing to work on. I got to keep it interesting. You know, I got to keep it a little crazy sometimes because, you know, I, I, that, that chaos was so normal for me. Um, Sometimes I have a a tendency to manifest it (laughs) unintentionally, but (laughs) you just shake your head. I know, you know what I'm talking about, but you know, but I don't have to act on it. You know, I tell you, if people knew what really went on in my head, they would probably be pretty, pretty terrified or if not entertained, you know, but yeah. So five years sober, I'm employable. I work at a crisis residential facility for mental health and I get to share my experience with my mental health and my recovery um, with clients that might be duly diagnosed like I am. And, um, 
if you would have told me 10 years ago, this would be my life. I wouldn't have believed it. You know, I wouldn't have believed it. And um, the connections and the people that I've met along the way, you know, I just, they're dear to me. I have some beautiful, beautiful people in my life who, who hold me up when I am weak and, and remind like, it's okay to not be okay. I don't have to be the strong person, you know, and, uh, and for a while I, uh, this is so weird. Like I'm so used to getting cut off. They're like, it's time. Um, but, uh, I, um, I was talking to my sponsor and I, um, you know, so I post those, I think it was one of my videos you might've seen on Facebook yeah. one of my readings or it might've been a response to a rude comment that was made. And, and, um, and it had happened again. And this woman, she was just, she was really mean and it was unnecessary. And I called my sponsor. I'm like, and I'm angry and I'm telling her about it. And she's just like, well, what if you just stop? What if you just, you know, stop doing the videos? And I'm like, and let the bully win. Why do I have to take the high road? Why do I have to take the high road? You know? And she said, you don't have to, but you get to. I hate when she tells me that, but it's true. You know, I get to, I do get to. Um, but, and I told her, I said, but I'm always going to be that girl, that girl that shot herself. You know, that girl, that girl that shot herself. I'm that girl. And she said, Heather, you know, that is something that happened to you. It's not you. And again, like a shift in my perspective. And you're right. It's not who I am. It's something that happened to me. And, you know, but I had to be told that because I made it me, you know, and I said, uh, I don't know. I think I'm kind of rambling a little bit now, but like, I'm super grateful. And like I said, you know, this, this wasn't for nothing. Like I get to walk with purpose today, a purpose I never could have imagined that I'd have, you know, and, and the fact that um, so many people can relate, um, it just, it, it makes me so really good that um, by me sharing my crazy, it, it helps people. You know, because a lot of people in recovery, they get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's all of it. Oh, I, I don't even know how to start in <laughs> that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> our stories are different, but I can identify with the chaos, the unmanageability right the hurt you know it, it led me down a down a similar road to several like you several attempts at suicide and my last proper one was you know with with, with a gun and i i was going to shoot myself and the gun jammed twice mm -hmm. and then somebody knocked Ooh. on the door the third time yeah. um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it led me to – it just led me into madness. Mm -hmm. So I, I can identify with, with, with that 
Um, it, you know, my road went down to many, many different rock bottoms, but yeah, I can identify with, with the feelings and the hurt and the pain and, you know, even at the start, not, not, not being able to find something to even call it how you're feeling, you know, I, I wouldn't admit that I was an addict because, or an alcoholic um, at, at the start, because I, I was, I was young, I was, I was 14 when I went to my first meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of put that to the back of my head. And, uh, yeah, it, um, I suppose the last time that my head got really, really sort of messed up, one other time before that, actually, I was, it was 26th of June, Mm. 2014 and I was sat in a crack house um, with a, a, a pipe of crack cocaine and I I said to I said God at this point I don't even know if you exist mm. but if you do please take away this thirst this, this hunger for um drink and drugs or take my life because I cannot live like this anymore. And um, I fell asleep. It's really hard to do on crack cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it was about 10 o'clock at night and I fell asleep. And I woke up at about two, three minutes, four minutes past 12 mm-hmm. uh, on the 27th of June, 2014. And I haven't used a day since. Um, you know, my, um, you know, my want, my thirst was, it wasn't there. And I'm not saying that I haven't had a, had the odd thought or the using dreams. Right. Or, yeah. And those fleeting thoughts. Yeah. Because um, it happens. It's, it's always yeah. going to happen. And and the using dreams that are really so real. Um, And it's... I have a life beyond what I could have ever imagined. Like, like you said, you know, like you said 10 years ago that you couldn't imagine being where you are. You know, eight years ago, I couldn't imagine being where I am today. You know, my life has took me in this past eight years down the roads of, you know, like yourself talking to people and, you know, been blessed to be able to do that and um, been blessed to be able to, go to film sets and share my life story with actors and um, directors and producers. And, um, you know, I've I've been able to share my story to a room full of uh, training doctors. And I think it's, if you, I say this pretty much every, every time we do one of these, but I believe if we've been through a certain way of life and we've lived a certain way of life is our responsibility to educate, you know. Right. It's, I, I think it's our responsibility to be teachers. If you can't teach, teach. If you can teach, teach. Um, because people don't understand. People don't yeah. understand about mental health. There's still a stigma around, you know, oh. mental health and addiction and stuff like that. And we need to be stamping those out, which is why I, I love getting people like you on 
to just share the total rawness and, and, and realism of it all. Yeah. Well, it's too like, so my big thing is, um, you know, recovery, you know, anonymity and, and I, I break mine all the time and I'm completely fine. And I'm so open because there's a purpose for it. Like I didn't survive what I survived to not share it. Like we talk about us being selfish. Well, it'd be selfish of me for to not, mm. to not share, you know, especially for that person that because of this, like I said, like there, there's that stigma. And I'd have people come up to me after meetings because I shared something about, you know, my depression and they're like, Oh my God, like I'm so uncomfortable. And, because you know they have the same struggle but they're not oh you know they're and, and unfortunately people who don't experience it or have experience with it and um, have an opinion that they should probably keep to themselves <laughs> because they don't know hmm. and it makes people uncomfortable and it, it that breaks my heart you know it's going to drive people away hmm. instead of just accept accepting them where they are that but yeah, right. So we survived what we survived to to share that we can recover. Like it's possible. It is. It's, you know, I never in my life dreamed that I could have the life that I have got now. I never in my life dreamed that, you know, when I was using that I could ever be better. You know, I I pretty much lost everything um, yeah. several times over, um, you know. But that madness is, I've had people say, well, you know, why, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just not drink or not take that drug or, you know, change that thought, change that mindset? Um mm. And I actually really feel kind of bad for those people. Mm -hmm. Because one of the first things I learned, you know, like I said, I've been, I've been around um, the recovery uh, anonymous meetings since I was 14. So that's like over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm not anonymous anymore. <laughs> you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm far from it, but. I know that my life has been at the point where I couldn't manage it and still in recovery, it's been at the point where I felt like things were slipping, you know, um, 2017, June, 2017, we lost, um, my biological mom to cancer mm. in uh, uh, April, uh, Easter. Yeah. And in the June, we lost my two-day-old niece who was mm. murdered by her father, um, who in yeah. turn was murdered um, by his cellmate less than a year later. Yeah. Um, so we were left with with questions and still I didn't drink and I didn't pick up, I, you know, I've, I've got a, a network. I, I don't really go to meetings anymore, but I have mm -hmm. people around me and I, I work a program. Um, I have, right. I have, uh, you know, faith is a big one for me. Uh, mm -hmm. My 
faith and uh, I, you know going to church and I have father figures in church and I have big brother figures in church and you know I, um, I'm kind of steeped in that um, and I try to live a best life that I can biblically but um, I it was a the uh, it took a year um, before well nearly a year before we could uh, have the funeral for baby Luna and um, no. one of the uh, one of the elders from our church he he, he took me home because I, I couldn't do it alone so a few hundred miles away from where I now live and I was you, you know we went I was sat there in in, in, in the funeral and I, you know I was managing and you know the funeral finished and went outside and I smoked back then and the first thing I did was um, light a cigarette and um, his mum came up to me and put her arms around me and said thanks for coming and I broke mm. um, and you were talking about clarity earlier and that that that, that kind of brought that up for me because I was I went to sit in the car and I, I had a bit of a cry and and I was hit by this clarity that you only get I don't know if you know what I mean but like when you you get so angry and um you you hit something or hit, hit a bit too hard or you know you're angry you're screaming you're shouting you stub your toe um and a calmness yeah. just washes over yeah. you you go from yeah. raging to just a monk yeah. in a second flat yes um, yes I get it I was hit by that clarity mm. um, and I looked at Chris and I said I need to forgive him he said what yeah. I said I need to forgive him not for him I need to forgive yeah. His mum as well, and, and not for her, but for my own mental health. <clears throat> um, and I think that's where my journey really, really began in yeah. this. You know, I, I thank COVID really um, because it, it gave me the opportunity to talk to my friend who's a hostage negotiator of all things. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, why don't you do a podcast and I'll be your first guest? And that's how this was born. Wow. Um, you know, and I, I've, I share my story a lot. Um, yeah. And I like to give people a, a block to be able to hmm. share their own story. I'm a natural right. storyteller. I love to tell my story. Um, mm -hmm. I love to listen to other people's stories like, like you because it it grounds me, it, it it keeps me humble, it keeps me with my eyes on what I've got. I'm so grateful for the family that I've got, you know. The the, the woman that served me uh, a cup of coffee at the uh, at the local food bank coffee morning when I was a homeless addict who took pity on me and bought me tobacco and took me for a meal. You know, we yeah. got, we 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 got married in 2019. Wow! Um, so, Congratulations! Yeah, and it, it's it's a big thing. 
It's a yeah. massive thing. And people don't understand that life in and mm-hmm. living life for people like me and you, yeah. it's, it's not always an easy thing. Some people no. skate through it and they find it easy. Some find it relatively hard. Um, I'm now trying to find that balance. It, it's not always easy. Um, no. uh, medication helps and, uh, you know, I, I, I have a few things uh, medically wrong with me and I survive on paracetamol and prayer. But, um, mm. you know, I'm just, I'm so happy to be able to just sit here and, and listen to, you know, your story and to be able to share it with my with my followers. That, that's another big thing for me. I've got people that, that follow my career, that, that buy my books, that, watch my films that support me all the way through that sit here and watch this. And, you know, I never thought that would ever happen. Right. Um, I, the last thing I wanted to do was be in front of a camera. You know, I, I, <laughs> I tried that um, and it, it led me back into addiction. So yeah. I, I wanted to stay well and truly behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got sober and, and started learning how to deal with my trauma, Mm-hmm. Um, I had to sit in front of the camera again and, and set out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Well, I would say it's funny you mentioned that. So um, those those readings, those videos that I post, um, it was when COVID, you know, everything shut down and and they started the Zoom meetings online and, you know, you could see yourself mm. well, when it's working anyways. And um and I was really uncomfortable with how I looked when I talked. It's not like I look at myself in the mirror when I'm having a conversation with somebody. And I was so uncomfortable with how I look. So um, one day I just, you know, I held my phone out and I recorded myself doing the reading. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to post it to my page because I'll have to get over it. <laughs> you know, if I put it out there, I have no t- choice but to get over it and what happened was is people started responding Mm. and so I kept doing it and it you know initially it started you know because of me and I was uncomfortable but it grew into something so much more you know so much more and um so I totally get that I got it yeah it's uh it's just who'd have ever thought that you know, when we were in the life that we were in, um, mm-hmm. and we were living the way that we were living, that actually there would be a a, a hyper normality. You know, yeah. um, I'm not always comfortable in my own skin, and I'm not always comfortable at, at speaking. Um, yeah, you, you know. Like I say, yeah, I've done a few podcasts, but um, one of the things I get is about my accent, and some people can't understand what I say. Um, you yeah. know, the last video that that, that you watched uh, that I did, you know, there were people complaining that they couldn't understand what I was saying, asking mm-hmm. for subtitles, um, <laughs> which is why I put them on here. But um, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think we'll yeah. um, leave it there if that's okay. Um, yeah. I want to 
thank you um, for stepping out. And um, I know you're quite anxious about this and for stepping out and actually, you know, sharing your story. Um, I know that it's going to affect um, some of my followers. It certainly affected me. Um, and yeah, I'd love to get you on again at some point. I, um, yeah. you know, I, I do like to get guests back on a few months down the line and find out what's what's happening. Right. Um, I'll let you know all about my trauma therapy I started. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just, uh, if you had, if you have one thing to say, to anybody watching this that is struggling um, with addiction, that is struggling with with trauma, what's the one thing that that you would say to them right now? Um, the biggest thing would be that you don't have to suffer in silence. So many people do, and you don't have to suffer in silence. You know, reach out as uncomfortable as it is, you know, people don't judge when you're reaching out for help. That, that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. And as always, um, my inbox to this is open. Um, I will put uh, links on the, in the comments and things like that for people to, be able to um, access any help that they may need. Um, don't sit there and suffer in silence. Um, you know, the, the, there's always somebody there that will listen out for you and look out for you. Um, if you just hang on a couple of seconds, I'll, 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 I'll finish this off and then we'll just have a quick uh, debrief. Sounds good. Thank you guys ever so much as always for tuning in, for watching, for listening. Um, I apologize about the lack of video. We've had some technical difficulties this evening, so we've done our best to get you um, what we can. Um, this will, as always, go on to YouTube uh, and uh, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts and, and things like that over the next few days. It will also be on the podcast uh, um on YouTube and on my website. Um, so yeah, thank you guys. Uh, and I shall see you um, next time. Cheers guys. <laughs>